NAMIC members can now receive a 15% discount on new customer subscriptions to NASDAQ Board Portal. NASDAQ Board Vantage is a powerful corporate communication platform and online solution that helps companies run their board meetings, organize, share materials with directors, and document board activities in a secure online environment. More than half of Fortune 100 companies trust NASDAQ Board Vantage, a NAMIC national market member, to provide streamlined corporate governance services. To learn what the online portal will allow your company to do, visit www.namic.org slash products slash boardvantage. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Insurance Uncovered. This podcast is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies and is your source for insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering the 2022 midterm elections. NAMIC advocates discuss how shifting legislative control in state and federal governments could influence the property casualty insurance industry. Plus, disaster resilience the two new bills approved by Congress to provide aid to victims of natural disasters. But first, to start things off, we're going to flip the script a bit and begin today's podcast with our unscripted segment. That's because the big news, after all, is all about the 2022 midterm elections. So our CEO, Neil Aldridge, sat down with NAMIC's senior advocacy team leaders, Jimmy Grandy and Aaron Collins, to discuss last week's election results and how this changing of the guard could impact the insurance industry. Well, today is November the 15th. It's one week after the midterm elections, so we thought we'd have a special treat for the podcast listeners today and have two important members of the NAMIC staff join the podcast interview today to talk about the impact on the elections of the elections on both the federal level and at the state level. So joining me today We've got Senior Vice President of Federal and Political Affairs, Jimmy Grandy, who runs our Washington office and our political operation, uh, known to all of you as a longtime NAMIC senior leader, and also Senior Vice President of State and Policy Affairs, Aaron Collins, is also joining us to talk about the impact of the elections on the state side. So we have a lot to cover. It was clearly a very uh, interesting election, uh, one that, that probably didn't necessarily go the way that a lot of people thought it might. Uh, regardless, it always had elections always have impacts on the issues that face NAMIC, face the insurance industry, really regardless of who wins uh, and loses. And so we have to talk about that today. And so we're going to spend a little time, do a little deeper dive on the election front. So, Jimmy, we're going to start with you. Uh, interesting developments in Washington, a lot of a lot of anticipation of what might be a, a very uh, uh red wave election for the Republican side of, of the aisle that didn't really materialize. And so looks like the Republicans are going to win the House, barely, but not the Senate, probably keep it tied or maybe even lose the majority outright there. So talk about what this means on the federal side for us. Well, thanks, Neil. And, you know, when you said some people might not have guessed right, you know, I'm one of those people. You know, I, I think the election was still quite historical, not because there was a big red wave, but because the outcome of the election has a lot of uh, political pundits and, and election watchers scratching their head because the outcome doesn't match the data, right? You know, and on one hand, the the GOP appeared to 
succeed with uh, boosting turnout. They, I think their turnout was up 2% over 2020. Several million more raw voters. Uh, and uh, when you have, uh, you know, 75% of the country uh, at exit polls said they were unhappy with the direction of the country. Um, and so when you have the people so unhappy with the direction of the country, a president with low approval ratings, the outcome would have been more akin to a president that had a 60% approval rating. So, uh, you know, so what happened becomes an interesting question. And, uh, you know, my, the, if, I, if I had a sort of bottom line, and it's typically that midterm should have been a referendum on the president. That's how they, that's how they normally work. And, and I, I believe that 2022 wasn't clearly not a referendum uh, because people were unhappy. So it would have had a different outcome. I think it became a choice election between sort of Bidenism and Trumpism, you know, and, and in, in, a, in a funny way, um, you know, President Biden's greatest strength might be that he's the least worst option available to the country, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's um, interesting. It really is an interesting way to think about it. And we're going to talk about it with Aaron a little bit. I, I think you see a lot of it turning out when you look at some of the governor's races and the U.S. Senate races. I, I think the trend that if there is a trend here, it's that the you know the red states are getting redder and the blue states are getting bluer and the middle ground is getting smaller um, in in terms of places where that is an option and so uh, I think that bears itself out some way in the in the congressional seats and also in the governor's races when you think about the margins of victory in some of the places that were a little bit surprising so let's talk about the U.S. Senate Jimmy just for a minute here still. Um, to have an important runoff election. So talk through that and what it means and then talk maybe a little bit about what we think the election means on, you know, any relevant committee chairs in both the House and the Senate, et cetera. Sure, yeah. I mean, the, the Senate uh, looks like the, the two options left are a 50-50 Senate, which is exactly where it was before. Each party might swap one or depending on this special election in Georgia, if uh, the incumbent, uh, Raphael Warnock, is reelected, the Democrats will have gained a seat. And a lot of people think, well, not a big deal between 50 or 51 because you won't lose control of the Senate. And there is a big difference still because a 50-50 Senate requires uh, the majority and the minority to broker a power sharing deal which means they typically will have a 50-50 split on the committee, meaning seven Republicans, seven Democrats, and then a tie would go to the floor for a vote. Very different if you have a 51-49 majority, you can have eight and seven and you don't ever have to do that. So uh, it, it'll possibly lead to slightly more bipartisanship if we keep it 50-50 than if you had it 51-49. Um, and we won't know until uh, you know, December 6th is the runoff election in Georgia. And uh, given the, the track record of this season, I've, I'm, I'm, I've stopped predicting these things. It's going to be a, a very narrow race. We don't know which one will come out. There are some changes to your question, Neil. I think you were asking more specifically about um, who's going to be in charge of stuff. And, yeah. and you know, along those lines, our, our issues for the industry are always the same, but the playing field changes, right? And so, the focus on the issues can change. So in the House, instead of Chairwoman Maxine Waters, we're going to have Chairman Patrick McHenry. Um, those are two very different people, different ideologies, different beliefs that will focus on different issues. Um, 
as we approach risk-based pricing or data privacy, uh, the fact that FIO is growing and expanding its roles and authorities and issuing data calls, um, a Patrick McHenry will probably be a slightly more um, helpful voice when it comes to uh, like reigning in a FIO or something like that. So that'll be helpful. And then on the Senate side, um, we're poised to have uh, Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina become the Senate banking top Republican. And um, that's news and no, that's news noteworthy for us because he has an insurance background. He's a, he's been a since he was first elected to the House, been a, a bit of a champion for the industry because he he was a uh, an independent agency owner. So he he understands our issues, which is all we ever really need to to do yeah. well. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, he's been he's been good on our issues, and Namik, of course, has a good relationship with him uh, that we've cultivated over a number of years here. So that's that's also useful. Uh, it will be interesting to see how all of that transpires uh, for certain. And I'm with you on the Georgia race. Um, at this point, a prediction was just a guess, likely, uh, in terms of what's going to happen there. So, Aaron, why don't we switch over to the gov to the state side and talk about some of the governor's races, the state legislative races that changed. Um, I know we've got um, a new landscape there. That's why I say I, it seems like you'd look at the election and the analysis uh, at, at the governor's races, and there are a lot of people that would tell you Ron DeSantis is the worst governor in the country. And there's a lot of people that would tell you Gretchen Whit Whitmer in Michigan is the worst governor in the country. And they both cruise to re-elections um, in, in both of their home states. That's where I say it's almost like the red states get redder and the blue states get bluer. Um, so just talk about the impact of those races and any other states you've got on your mind here. Sure. Uh, thanks, Neil. I, you know, I think like Jimmy uh, referencing that, you know, a lot of the pundits are kind of scratching their head and what was the data? I mean, there'll be sort of a post-mortem analysis here of all of the races, federal and state. And, you know, I think it'll bear some interesting results. I think there's some of that, of what you're talking about, blue states getting bluer, red states getting redder. But then we also saw some results that kind of made us scratch our heads that told us, I think, at least initially, this was very much a election about candidates uh, again and the individuals um, instead of what we've seen in a couple of the last cycles uh, right so like Arizona for one Arizona is a red state right like we've we've seen that and and yet uh, we saw obviously a very uh, public campaign play out uh, in the governorship and ultimately um, Katie Hobbs uh, defeated Carrie Lake um, and and the Democrats will will take that seat. Um, the implication for, for us in the industry uh, there, at least initially, is that uh, we we are pretty confident we'll see a change uh, in the insurance commissioner uh, seat there as a result. Um, so that, that one was a bit surprising. Um, it was a bit surprising to see uh, Gretchen Whitmer uh, cruise, uh, at least uh, early indications were that it wasn't quite going to go that way. Um, you know, Nevada, um, the Republicans took that seat. Um, that was a surprise, uh, at least to me. I knew it would be uh, pretty close. Um, and it was close. You know, it's just like one and a half percent, I think, at the end of the day. Um, but, you know, we're, we'll have a split government there uh, in Nevada. Nevada is an incredibly challenging uh, legislature to start with. So that uh, that governor leadership and and presumably again a change in the insurance commissioner seat 
there is going to be really impactful uh, to the PNC industry. Um, you know, Washington, um, you know, you know, moving into the more the the legislative side, Democrats actually gained seats uh, there. So, you know, I just I think we saw some surprises. We knew some that were going to happen, but like still really impactful, right? Maryland has had a Republican governor uh, for several years, and now we'll switch back uh, to to a Democrat. Uh, Westmore is a small business owner. Uh, and he has talked a lot about prioritizing business and talent recruitment, but it's a little bit unclear how he intends to do that. Um, and, you know, again, tying that, that's another state where there's an appointment process that's going to uh, bear out a lot of impact, not just for the PNC industry in Maryland, but Commissioner Perrain is incredibly active on the national and international stage. Um, so uh, we'll have to see how all that works out. Yeah, there'll be, definitely be some changes. And this is always, you know, there's always a, a tendency, even in a state where a governor is, is reelected, where you have it after an election, it's time for people to, sometimes there's a natural deck shuffling that goes on and you might see other insurance commissioners, you know, be changing hands here. So even even when the party remains the same. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so typically we'll look for those changes. And then we have new people we have to go build relationships with and probably have a thousand new state elected officials at the state legislative front uh, that we got to go teach about our issues. So talk a little bit there about any sort of state legislative control that you see is particularly either good news or troubling news. Troubling news. Uh, well, you know, troubling news first, right? Uh, the three of us were around, remember in um, 2010 uh, when they, they called it the Republican sweep, right? And um, we thought in Michigan, uh, the the influx of Republican control there was going to be sort of a, a watershed moment uh, and ended up being a 10-year not-so-watershed moment um, <laughs> in terms of seeking reform, reform there. Um, but now, you know, we, we talked about Whitmer a little bit. Not only did she cruise to victory, but now all of a sudden the whole legislature uh, has, has gone blue as well. Uh, and, you know, we all know that uh, when that has happened, um, well, that hasn't happened in, in eons, really, in Michigan. But when we have legislative control uh, there in Michigan, you know, no fault is going to be on the table every single time. Uh, and so, you know, the re the reforms that were passed a few years ago haven't really materialized, um, you know, for a lot of reasons. But, you know, peeling away some of the, the cost control measures there, you know, undoubtedly, our opponents uh, in in that conversation are going to come straight to the governor and the and the D legislature and try to uh, unroll some of that and go back to the you know unlimited lifetime medical benefit uh, system there in Michigan. Um, some other surprises: Minnesota. Uh, I think the Democrats surprised themselves uh, in in how well uh, they did there. They certainly um, shocked the the political uh, pundits. They regained control of the House and gain the majority in the Senate. Uh, that's gonna be a challenge because we know there were some uh, bills floating around in the last year, year and a half that didn't ultimately get introduced because of the, you know, the business friendly control uh, in the Senate. So, you know, that's gonna, we're gonna see the impact of that pretty quickly um, there in Minnesota. And then Colorado, you know, the Republicans were really hoping to take the Senate 
uh, in, in Colorado, and it, it didn't happen. Um, Democrats actually strengthened their margins in both the House and the Senate. Uh, and so we're going to see, I think, some continued challenges there in sort of that corridor up in the western part of the Midwest um, that are going to be really, really challenging for us. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that, no doubt, we will have our hands full in some of those states. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, and then we also have the, just the normal challenge of having a lot of new elected officials at the state legislative level most of which do not have a particularly high familiarity with the insurance industry issues. And uh, that always is a challenge for us to start that education process. But I know that will begin. Uh, that's what we do here. And it's it's part of our jobs to go out and, and teach them about insurance issues and teach them about NAMIC members and our interests there. So um, we have a lot of work to do in front of us here uh, post-election, uh, regardless really of who wins. But this year is gonna be particularly interesting in a few places. So we've got sort of the scene set here at the state and federal level, uh, both of which will have, uh, we always say elections matter and who wins and loses matter. And we will see an impact of that on our, our issue agenda. Uh, probably too early to look at, at 2024, Jimmy, and the presidential election, but that apparently season has already started. As I said, this is November the 15th. And last night, Donald Trump announced that he's gonna run again for election. So. Uh, you probably can't have an election podcast without spending a minute on uh, what we think the 24 election uh, cycle looks like for the presidential race. Way too early to know what that's going to look like, of course, but just give us your thoughts there. Sure. Uh, I think you're 100% right. It's too early to know who the candidates are going to be or not going to be. But, you know, I think so many times in the um, punditry world, people out try to overthink things. Um, and they just don't make it simple enough. And if you look back at this election, I think a lot of the frustration has been delayed for the next election, right? So things, all of the things people are talking about, candidate quality, was abortion a bigger issue than people thought, redistricting, that's all part of the stew. But the fundamentals are still the same. People are historically unhappy right now in America, the direction it's taking. And in this election, they didn't see a better alternative. And so they kind of kept the status quo. That doesn't make people any happier. Um, they're still very dissatisfied. And so I think both parties would do well to not look at the status quo as accepting that they're doing anything right. And they both should try to figure out how to uh, be more attentive to what the country is looking for, because that's what's going to that's what's going to matter for 24 and separate the candidates. Yeah, for certain. And then, of course, the field will be added to, I'm certain here. Um, you know, there, I've already seen some speculation that the results of the midterms, you know, means that Joe Biden absolutely will run for re-election. And then I see some that say that absolutely the opposite of that. So I think, you know, nobody really knows what we're facing here, <clears throat> but it'll be interesting for certain. And unfortunately, it appears as though we're, we're going to end one campaign season and start another one um, right right away here. Um, but that you're going to depress people if you're not careful, Neil. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, seems to be the state of politics, uh, no matter what uh, is going on in the country right now. It's a little bit maddening to see this this unfold the way it does. But listen, Jimmy, Aaron, thank you for joining us today. A lot of work to do. Thank you both. All of our listeners know you guys are significant players to not only your respective areas on the advocacy front, but leaders here at NAMIC and leaders in the industry. And you got a lot of work to do. 
to go out and do what we always do and lead your teams into this issue environment, but we will do it effectively. I'm confident of that and serve the interest of NAMIC members. So thank you both for not only your, your insights today, but your work that you do on, on behalf of the industry every day. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Neil. And in other election news, voters in five states were asked about legalizing marijuana, and the responses came with mixed results. In Maryland and Missouri, voters supported legalizing and regulating recreational marijuana sales. Those states will also expunge criminal records for nonviolent pot-related charges. But similar measures failed in Arkansas, North and South Dakota. While polling shows a majority of voters do support legalization nationwide, opponents say some have concerns about the potential for increased driving accidents and other negative health impacts. And while the legalization of marijuana can be a politically divisive subject, there is value in property casualty insurers developing an understanding of how the issues at play will affect their companies. And a recent white paper on commercial cannabis and how it intersects with the insurance industry, NAMIC explains if insurers are compelled to participate in any way with the cannabis industry, there should be a robust safe harbor from any federal legal liability under controlled substances-related law. In Washington, the House has approved two bills under suspension just this week related to disaster planning and resilience. The Disaster Resilience Planning Act, previously passed by the Senate, would require the Office of Management and Budget to provide guidance to federal agencies on how to incorporate natural disaster resilience into their asset management and investment decisions. The bill now goes to President Biden for his signature. A second bill, the Disaster Survivors Act of 2022, was also approved this week. This particular measure is aimed at simplifying the process for seeking federal assistance following a natural disaster. It directs FEMA to create and maintain a web-based interagency database that would provide a universal application for federal disaster assistance. The bill also gives authority to the president to provide financial or other assistance in response to disaster-related housing needs for those individuals displaced from their primary residence as a result of a natural disaster. This measure now goes to the Senate for its consideration. And finally, with just two weeks left in this year's hurricane season, homeowners in Florida are once again cleaning up after the extensive damage left behind from Category 1 Hurricane Nicole. AccuWeather released a preliminary estimate of the property damage and economic loss caused by Nicole, placing the total between $5 and $7 billion. That's well below the estimated $60 billion in insured loss from Hurricane Ian just six weeks ago. Storm victims who sustained damage from the back-to-back -back hurricanes will need to file a new claim for Nicole losses. That's because Floridians are only subject to one windstorm deductible per year on their property insurance policies. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Insurance Uncovered. I hope you enjoyed the program. We'll be back again on November 30th with more insurance news and perspective. So until then, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.